Hello, and welcome to another edition of Two Story Building. My name is David Montgomery, and I am so excited for this week's guest. Uh, his name is Sandra Lerke. He's a singer-songwriter who hails from Norway and now lives here in Los Angeles. He is fantastic. Um, if you don't know his work, please go check it out right now. Um, but after you listen to this podcast, of course. I first discovered him about 15 years ago, I think. Uh, when I was still living in Pittsburgh, and I wish I had mentioned this in the actual interview, I had tickets to see him, and long story short, I ended up not getting into the venue because my ID had expired the day before, and so a friend of mine that I went with, she and her boyfriend were like, well, we're still going to go to the show, and I was like, okay, enjoy yourselves. And they met him after the show and asked if he could sign something for me, but they didn't have anything to sign. So she went through her purse and the only thing she could find is a subpoena for traffic court. And so he signed that and I probably have it in a box here somewhere still. But that being said, Sandra Lerke was an absolute delight, as you will hear now. We didn't do a full introduction on this episode. We just sort of started talking and it was fun stuff, so I let it go. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Sandra Lerke. This kid yesterday who, uh, he like literally just moved here a week ago. Yeah. Um, he's from Scotland, and he he's like, you know, I can't believe I'm like, doing this i live in hollywood oh, right fresh and off the I, was, boat. I was like cool that's amazing good yeah. for you and uh, i was like what brought you here and he said he was working at a grocery store um and he was like he goes i shouldn't say it's a hobby but i sing on my instagram like just sing songs and i write them and it's fun i was like that's cool i was like do you have like a trillion followers? He's like, oh, not that many, like 30, 40,000. I was like, oh yeah, not that many. <laughs> Come yeah. on. I was like, that's that's not real. Um, but yeah, so I guess someone at the right second, his feed came up on somebody that works for oh. Atlantic. Mm-hmm. They slid into his DMs and said, Come out here for an artist showcase. And he's like, I don't have anything to showcase. And they're like, um, then come out here, we'll fly you, we'll we'll pay for everything. Um meet with some of our executives to see mm. if we can fit you for personality fit you for what does that mean for the, and that's i i was like i have a question he's like well i told them i didn't know what what that meant yeah good. and they said basically like they want to see you know how you work with different musical styles to oh, see to what mold you are yeah to mold you into you this be. package we want you to be to sell to people and he's like adorably squeaky clean cute and uh they cut off all his hair Three days ago, he said he had like crazy curly hair out oh to here. God. Now they cut it in some like lopsided. Are they trying to thing. make him edgy? Uh, not edgy, just like more, um, more influencer. Like, let's get him all like the long floppy LA clothes, <laughs> oh my God. and let's let's do that whole thing. Oh my god! Oh yeah, yeah, it was absurd. So he tells me he's got um, that he they set him up with a songwriter from their team of whatever. And uh, he said, we got along all right, but like hated the song. Right. And so I didn't want to perform it for my showcase thing. So I went home and was inspired by that to write something else. I sang that song and they're like, yes. And they signed him. 
That's amazing. He's like, so they put him up in a fucking two bedroom in Hollywood. He's like, they're paying my rent indefinitely. And, what, and he came here just on a whim? They, they no, slid right, into they, the DMs and did that. Right. But was and like, in Scotland, he worked at a grocery store yeah. and had a little a sort of double life as a, an Instagram. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that insanity? I was it, like, it angers me so much because like the, that like, that's what, I mean, the fact that they're just like, let's make a package out yeah. of you based on that you look like this. And the one thing is like, after a while, I was just like the conversation lulls. And then I can't remember what was even on the radio, but he starts singing along and he's, I was supposed to be like, oh, oh yeah. sing some more, you know, but whatever. Yeah. And I was like, dude, you can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> like he's beautiful, so right. beautiful. So he's striking, and, but, but he like, can't. but I don't know. Maybe he's an amazing songwriter. I don't know anything right. about that. Maybe that's part of it. But uh, but oh yeah, I was like, oh god, so much of like the culture now is just so exhausting to me. Well, but it's funny. It feels in a way both really modern, like how things are done now, but also really old fashioned in a way. We gotta get you a haircut. It feels yeah, like yeah, very yeah. like. Something I've seen in a biopic about a band from the 60s. Yeah. We gotta cut your hair or get you in a suit. <laughs> it's funny. I, I hadn't thought about that. In it's, a way that, like, we're sort of spoiled by, like, singer-songwriters and things like that nowadays. Yeah. Where a lot of people do have a lot of control over their work. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that's and the new certain, norm. But now... Yeah. It's feel, like sometimes that's honored and sometimes that's not. Yeah. I never... I didn't even think of I that. Think I think I get at, at all times... There, like that has been going on. Um, you know, Motown was a factory. Oh, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Sing this song, wear this. You know, yeah. and uh, it has a bit more charm, of course, with with because it's those are really great songs. But yeah, but I think I think at all times there's somebody playing that game, and people you know being players in that game. Yeah, and then and then there's people who just. Well, okay. If you want me to dress like this, I'm going to do the opposite. Yeah. If you want me to sing the song, I'm going to shit shit on you. You know. What I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. always. I but but I but it it's it's very uh, yeah it's very off the moment of course that it happens. We there's a part of me that almost I've I've changed my tune on Carol King a little bit. Oh yeah, tell me because of I guess probably intrinsically because of her involvement in all of that as part of like this like. Let's crank yeah. them out. Let's crank them out. Granted, it was good stuff, but it's still like, let's crank them out. Let's crank them out. <laughs> yeah, it, and it, it is, it is in a way the same thing that people are doing now, and some people do it well, and some don't, and some are successful commercially and do it well, and some are successful commercially and do it terrible. Uh, yeah. You know, make really bad stuff. But I, but I don't know. I think it's a discipline. I admire the discipline. I admire like. Anyone who steps into a form and says, like, I'm going to make something, and if it's not commercially, like, hugely successful, yeah, it has no value. Yeah. Because, I, like, I don't think I, you know, th- that, that requires a lot of guts, because I see a lot of people go into that field and completely underestimating what that takes. Also, what kind of luck it takes, probably, yeah, yeah, to yeah. even get to be a player in that world. But it, it takes a lot of guts to sort of like to say, I'm going to make, yeah, I'm going to make something that only serves one purpose. And so if it doesn't serve that purpose, 
it is completely bereft of purpose. Yeah, yeah. And then you've just wasted your time slash life. Yeah. You know, trying to, to, to do this thing that probably also maybe was where you, you had to sort of, I don't know, exclude your, your soul or maybe you, I don't know. It's a, it's a fascinating game, but I think it's, I think with Carol King, I think it's, it is sort of cool that she started there and had a whole sort of career before the career as a, yeah. as an auteur, you know? Yeah. And that she was one of the boys in that, that whole, you know, bro building world, just cranking him out. Like you say, like, and for, for all the big hits we remember, they probably wrote, you know, 10 that were terrible. Yeah. That the history doesn't yeah, totally. remember. You know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but we I, remember the good parts. I picture like, I picture how amazing if like, if, you know, the boy band craze wasn't as gigantic as it right. was in the nineties and all the stuff since then and whatever. Right. Um, I almost picture what it would be like if like Max Martin right. <laughs> was just like, here's my acoustic album of <laughs> me at a piano. Be right, like, exactly. I want it that yeah, exactly. way. <laughs> I've been saving these for myself because they're just too good to waste on the Backstreet Boys. I'm, I'm, I've been saving it. I'm waiting to break out and, and you know, give my voice to and, and and just the fact that like carol king actually had the the sort of guts or desire or to re-record will you love me tomorrow mm-hmm. that's on tapestry isn't it mm-hmm. that she would want she was willing or wanting to sort of connect with that her past yeah. and 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 a song which was already so iconic in, in the original version, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's. I think I think uh, M- Max Martin's solo album uh, <laughs> would be maybe yeah not as. Um, I feel like because he comes from I think he comes from metal like Swedish. Yeah, he comes from like really. I think that's. He comes from that the hair metal, or or maybe slightly no darker way. even. Really? So I feel like I don't know enough about. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a very fascinating. I know I know some people who worked with him, and I think the thing he does, which is fascinating, which I totally am intrigued by, um, that kind of expertise is like when he does a song, he'll he'll do the vocals with the, what do you call it? Like with the inflections sort of like with, as like a guide vocal for Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so like the way, apparently the way Britney sings in baby (laughs) one more time, like that, the whole way, which becomes part of the song is he did on the, the, interesting. So the, that totally adds up. That checks out. So uh, it's, and, and, and that kind of like, okay, precision, like, okay, what, this melody, this beat, this drama, this lyric, this, but also this way of mumbling, you know, like whatever. <laughs> it's sort of fascinating. Yeah. It has to be this way. I want it that way. There <laughs> are, there was some, um, there was a book called Possessed. It was all about the, the Prince recording sessions in the, uh-huh. like the seventies through early nineties. And uh, and all his protege side projects, 
Right. And he was like the master of, he knew exactly what he wanted out of every right, project right. and everything was always written, produced, right. et cetera, by him. Right. But he wouldn't take credit for it. Half the time it was like, it said written by Joey Coco or written, right. written and performed and produced by Sheila E. And she had, she sang on it and that's oh, it. Really? Like that kind of stuff. There's mm-hmm. so much like that out there. And, uh, but there was a side project in 85 called the family. Mm-hmm. Um, where he, it was like, uh, Jerome Benton literally did nothing on it <laughs> even in like in the fake version of it he literally danced in the videos he didn't it didn't say he played an instrument on him. wow <laughs> he was literally a dancer didn't sing backup nothing right but uh Susanna Melvoy and St. Paul Peterson uh those two were on lead vocals and they were the original singers of Nothing Compares to You oh brilliant. but so what Prince did he recorded the demos I've got almost all of those right. um they're like unreleased but still circulating yeah um but they, he knew exactly what he wanted from it. He said, we're going to chase that Duran Duran money now. So oh. St. Paul, get your little white ass in here and you're going to sing this exactly how my guide vocal is. Right. And they went over, I can't remember exactly. I think he had him in the studio for 18 hours for one specific line on a song called, <laughs> on a song called Mutiny. Like to the point where he was ready to be like, fuck you, I'm done. You know, wow. but he... <laughs> But it's crazy. It's it's fascinating also that even someone like Prince, who in so many ways is seems you know was always just above everything. You yeah, know, he was above. Yeah, he was on a different level. Yeah, but he also would find some sort of motivation, probably artistic, like just the challenge of let's chase that Duran Duran money. Like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to show that I can do that. I want to yeah, do yeah, better. Yeah. I want to you know, and and I think that is maybe. I think maybe I'm not saying everybody's got that, but I think I think a lot of writers who are maybe typically seen as to be above, you know, or not part of the sort of the, the sort of the more sort of the, yeah, I don't know, commercial, d- deliberately commercial game. Yeah, still could feel that. Yeah, it would be, it would be sort of fun to go for it you know yeah. um in in the sense that like like that the way you describe prince like like it, i just like the idea of him having that like i'm gonna i'm yeah. gonna show i'm gonna show duran duran how duran duran is done you know <laughs> and it's gonna and it, it has to be this way it has to be sent that way and then that's something that he would occupy a guy like him like it would occupy his mind I love I that, that I love that we've gone through all this and I haven't even introduced you yet. <laughs> yeah, who am I? <laughs> I am so happy to have you on here. Um, yeah. Sandra Lerke. Yeah, it's me. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all along it was me. <laughs> he rips the mask off. Well, let's yeah. talk about you. Because I, I, the timing of this is so wonderful because I just got to see you two nights ago yes, yeah. as of the recording of this yes is it two nights yeah it was it on wednesday Friday. yes yeah two nights ago at largo mm-hmm. oh and everybody can see you there again yes on, on may-, may 10th hey. i'm doing my second ever so that this on wednesday that you attend was the first ever sandra larkin and friends at largo and uh, this was sort of a pilot and now uh, our pilot got picked we got up. picked up we got picked up <laughs> So I'm doing another Sandra Lake and, and Friends. Uh, who knows who's going to show up? I, I had some pretty fun guests. And yeah, it was did. a new format for me. And, and it played to 
I think I felt when I was up there, obviously, you know, playing music is what I do and playing songs that I write is what I do. And but the new thing here was, of course, that I was also playing host and I was getting to introduce some fellow artists who I'm excited about. And when I was a kid, I would sit and watch MTV and I would I would uh, mute the the DJs when they talked Mm. and I would talk. And then I would, as soon as I could detect what the next video was, I would start talking about the band and introducing them and then fading it in so that it hit just the moment when the singer started singing in the video. And so I felt it played into that part of, of my sort of also fanboy wanting to be a host and wanting to interview, you know, it, it, I, it, so I was pretty giddy on, uh, on Wednesday uh, doing this because it was a, a bit more fun than I thought it would be. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, well, I thought it, I, I was excited, but when, when, once I was up there, I was like, well, it fe- well, this feels like having my own TV show or radio show or whatever, and I get to perform. Um, but it was, yeah, I I, um, I enjoyed it. So I, I'm glad we get to do more of it. Yeah, I'm excited too. Yeah, yeah it was super fun. My uh, my friend that I went with, yeah. Charles, he... Um, he before this he didn't know who you were he'd heard your name right but i remember like he ah okay this is hilarious yeah he the night that i saw you at the joni mitchell movie screening thing our first meeting or not our first meeting to be fair so yeah exactly but so i i was like oh my god sandra lark is like three seats away (laughs) and he's like you have the weirdest taste in music. I don't. I never know what you're talking about no. ever. Who is this? Guy? But he trusts my taste, right? And like, because every time I, I'm like, you have to listen to blah blah blah. Check yeah. this out. Right. He's now like obsessed with you. Oh, he's wonderful. like, he's like, this he is... strongly prefers uh, solo pleasure. By the way, right? He's a solo pleasure guy. <laughs> yeah, right. And, you know, the, people come in, in. Usually, you can divide them in two brackets. They're either pleasure or solo pleasure. I provide uh, entertainment for both. A lot of pleasure. Yeah, a lot of pleasure. <laughs> but um, wait, what was I saying about that? Why did they bring him up? Well, because... Oh, he, he loved... Yeah. Oh, my God. He was... I wasn't sure how he was going to feel about the show. Right. Well, you never Because I, did, I didn't realize he was... That he was a solo pleasure kind of guy. No, um, right. So without a full band or anything, I was like, oh, is he going to be into this? Yeah. When I saw nobody had a full band. No, I was right. Like, exactly. This, this might not be it's his It's a very house. stripped down effect. But he also loves Tori Amos. So I'm like, he's fine with just an instrument and a person. He's fine. Right, right. And he loved it. He was like raving on the way home. He's like, thank oh. you so much for bringing me. This was so cool. That's so wonderful when people bring uh, someone who trusts them, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm gonna let you take me to a show that yeah. I have no idea. And of course, when it sometimes I'm sure I don't hear those stories when it didn't play out well, where the person left halfway and was like, "You're taking me to this shit." But I so often get to hear about from fans and friends. I get to hear about the situations when when it has been a success. When people, are, oh my god, I can't believe I never <laughs> heard about this music, and and it's uh, it warms my heart that people have the guts because it's so nerve-wracking to to sort of say hey you want to come to a show you want to sit down for two hours and and i think you're gonna like it but if you yeah. don't like it could be and that's the thing because you're putting yourself out there so oh, yeah, much yeah. yeah and it's like it's all it's of it yeah difficult like as an artist to be putting something out there and yeah. be like I'm really kind of bearing myself a little here, so please like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and it, exactly, it's an intimate setting, and and I I indulge, of course, the admiration of the audience, but I also 
um, sort of, yeah, I do a couple of things that where, where it feels risky and vulnerable in, in the sense that you're, you're sort of risking, I don't know. Yeah, it always feels like you're risking a certain reject, reject, rejection. And it should feel that way, I guess. But uh, of course, in a, in, a, in a small room like Largo, where there's like 300 people, and I like to cross over the line that sort of the invisible line between the stage and the audience. I like to sort of dance on that line and sometimes yeah. tip over physically <laughs> into into the the world of the audience. And, and that can also be, you know, sometimes... Uh, bizarre and unwanted and sometimes wonderful you know i was cracking up like for for the listener yeah right he, <laughs> tell them what you did this is so great it's something that i've i never you know the i did i did okay so i did two years ago i put out a record called pleasure and the record was in a way in sort of indulging um it's a very sort of flamboyant and and physically indulging record that sort of, uh, yeah, sort of cuts to the chase, full of like I don't know adrenaline and and you know all these emotions. And so when I started touring that, I I I had a desire to sort of express that in the show, but I before that point I was not a you know I'm I'm a pretty lively performer, but I wasn't someone who would like say put your hands in the air yeah or or like start dancing or like I'm, i usually i was confined by the guitar and now all of a sudden i was doing half the show without the guitar running around yeah um i would end every show jumping into the crowd and dancing in, in like a mixture between like a, a techno club and an aerobics instructor you know <laughs> every night and and this was something I started at the beginning of the tour. I wanted to do these things, but I was afraid to do it. And that was part of the suspense and the sort of reason for me trying and wanting to do this was to ch- sort of challenge that boundary within myself. So the first couple of shows we did with the Pleasure Tour, I was just terrified of the things I made myself do because yeah. I didn't, I couldn't yet inhabit that kind of almost vulgar, you know, behavior on stage where you're completely, uh, in, yeah, just indulging yourself and the audience and you're sort of, you know, it was almost like channeling um, a character within myself who had been suppressed on the altar of good taste. You know, <laughs> this is not something that I grew up doing and indulging. And all of a sudden I was doing that and, you know, when you do a show, we did 130 pleasure shows all over the world. Oh Full band. God, a 90-minute really? workout every night, like, pumping pumping up ourselves. And so, when you do that many shows, and this was this, pretty much the same show every night. It was like a, a, sh- yeah, a show. Um, when you do that, all of a sudden, you're, you are pushing the limits of what is normal. All of a sudden... This became part of my repertoire. All of a sudden, I, it was like, well, now I, things that I would like blush at just the thought of. Yeah. Uh, two months ago, all of a sudden, now I'm like doing that on a nightly basis and, yeah. and I'm owning it, you know? So it sort of opened me up physically on stage in a way I, I, that, that I felt inconceivable before. And, and now all of a sudden, um, I was expanding my repertoire. And so one night, uh, there was a technical glitch. I can't remember where it was, but there was a technical glitch on stage that 
made it so that I had to just keep the audience entertained while this was solved. And I started singing. I, maybe somebody requested the song Human Hands, which is a, a song I recorded for a record called Duper Sessions. It's written by uh, Elvis Costello originally. And it's also in the film now in real life. And so a lot of people like it. And somebody probably requested it. And I never actually learned the chords to it. I, I just sang it on that recording. So I start singing it a cappella. And it was sort of a moment. And I didn't do much of it. I just stood there and sang it a cappella. Yeah. And was pleased to find that I remembered all the words. And, and it was sort of a moment. I, and so I kept on doing that thing, a cappella, you know, that can be sometimes powerful, especially in a very sort of muscular show, which this was, which with a lot of noise and keyboards and dancing and grooves, yeah. all of a sudden to have this moment of, of just a, such a refreshing little yeah, exactly. reset button. Exactly. So I would do that. And then all of a sudden I was, because of this sort of newfound, I don't know, like, uh, yeah, flamboyance or whatever you call it. All of a sudden, I started crossing the line because I had already done that dancing, you know, at the end of the show. I would do the techno dance routine, run through the crowd and hug crowd and take off my shirt and throw it like completely <laughs> ridiculous things. So Doing slits. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm telling you. T-shirt cannon. Yeah, totally, I would, it was shameless. I guess shameless is the word. I was indulging the shamelessness that I had sort of been too uh, polite to ever indulge before. But all of a sudden, I was doing this a cappella number also, walking into the crowd and seeing how far I could walk before the, the, the speakers start feeding back. You know, stuff like that. And sort of testing, when will the alarm go off and say, geez, you can't do this. You have to stop. And so it became this, this sort of dance that I do with the audience where I would all, all of a sudden I would, if there was, um, if it was seated, I would sit down next to an audience member and just sing a verse to that person <laughs> intensely. I would sit on people's laps. Oh I would st stand on the chair and I would sort of like, I guess, invade the audience space and sort of, yeah, shamelessly indulge my sort of perceived, uh, uh, my, my perception of their adoration and sort of yeah. amplify that in a, in a sort of, you know, very coy uh, way. And, and, and like with anything, like the more you do it, the bigger it gets, yeah. you know, the more confident you get. And so the, the thing that I did this Wednesday at Largo was I wanted to not, I, because I had other guests, I could have them play. And then while they played, I took a, a wireless mic and I went, I snuck in the back of the room and I sat w without anybody noticing. I sat down in the seat in the back. And when the performer on stage was, was done, I hadn't told him that this was happening. So he was completely confused. Oh, wait, even the other performers didn't know. No, they didn't know. Oh, this is amazing. So they didn't know. So there was confusion because he that he didn't want to go off stage because he didn't want to leave the stage empty because he was waiting for me to come and say, oh, thank you for yeah. playing. Well, we're moving on. <laughs> so the host was absent. And then all of a sudden I'm in the dark and I have the wireless mic and I start singing the song and there's confusion. And then I started walking around and then people start realizing that I'm behind them. Yeah. And then I, I did probably a more flamboyant version of this because now I'm started like gyrating and almost doing like a strip tease. <laughs> um, and I sat down. I never know who I sit down next to. And all of a sudden I realized I'd sat down next to 
a woman who who works for ASCAP. Oh my god! The, my sort <laughs> yeah, of yeah, pub, the publishing pub, publishing uh, house or company. So all of a sudden, I'm sitting serenading this woman who I've been in meetings with. She's very nice, so I knew <laughs> like she would take it in. But I, all of a sudden, like I've started this thing. Um, and, and I have to sort of complete it. And this was right after I, I, I remember I, I lifted my sort of torso up in a very suggestive way up, upon the chairs. Yeah. So it, 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 it becomes this sort of dance and this moment that is out of control. I don't plan where I'm going to go. I'm, I'm just, I go where, to, where there's room or where I see someone who is, I think will be sort of fun. It's often fun when people are a little reserved because then yeah. I become, crazier yeah yeah and they you know if they are if they're there if i see someone who is is being sort of woohoo then i don't go to them because yeah. i want to go to the people who create the the biggest contrast so i also look a little foolish but also a little like wow where, that takes a lot of balls you know yeah, and, yeah. and it's but it's become a, a, a fun fun thing but it's 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 something I like to do in my show. I've done it once or twice when I've just come on at Largo. Sometimes I come on and do a couple of songs during other people's shows. Yeah. Uh, I've done some shows with comedians there. And, and a couple of weeks ago, I did did Pete Holmes' show. It was a comedian I really like. Um, and it did not work. Because I'm coming on. I did three new songs. They're all ballads really slow so nothing is suggesting what was to come and then yeah. my fourth song i was like i'll do the thing because that's fun we're in hollywood show yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was so awkward because this audience doesn't know me yeah and they have met me now through these really really poetic really sensitive new songs that i played some some of the same songs I opened this show on Wednesday with, and then all of a sudden I was like, "Well, okay, well, I want to get to know you guys," and, then, and I set it up in a really awkward way because I I started telling what telling them what I'm going to do, which you just have to do it. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. And that was because I was a bit more insecure because this wasn't my audience. So I'm I'm telling them, "Okay, well, I want to get to know you, so I'm going to do this thing where I, you know, so I'm setting up the thing in a terrible way." And I walk out there and you go from zero to 60 in a sense. And the audience have not been taken along. Yeah. And I walked around and I, I, I flubbed for the first time ever. I flubbed a couple of words of the lyrics and I lost it and I had to start over. And, and you know, oh. your confidence just... Oh, completely. This, this thing that is this performance that is completely based on confidence and shamelessly indulging this sort of outsized confidence that almost is too good to be true. All, all of a sudden, it just... Now you're in your head. Oh, yeah. no. Exactly. Oh, no. So that was really interesting. Yeah. That's the weird thing, though, about some of those... I, I'm always... Anytime I go to Largo, I'm always like... If it's a variety kind yeah, of right. show, you never know how everybody's no. individual programming is going no. to melt how together. How it's going to float, yeah. And even seeing how many of these people the other night yeah. were musicians... Yeah. You know, Watkins family or that kind of stuff makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. But then when I saw Mike Berbiglia, I was like, does he also do music? Yeah, right. I was like, because I can see him getting up and telling a story or. Right, right. Whatever. I wasn't sure if he was going to join you in singing a song or whatever. Right, right, yeah. And yeah. that kind of stuff can 
Yeah. It can totally yeah. flop. Oh it's very God. different for, for those people who come mainly from comedy to to do their thing in a, in a musical context. Yeah. I think musicians are maybe a bit more adapted, like, oh, well, we're, you're used to being the musical guest in any number of things. Yeah. You know? Whereas... So just dance, monkey. Yeah, exactly. So you're just used <laughs> you're like, to like, fine, I'll dance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um... But it, yeah, he, he, he did this thing, I guess, which is based on his one-man show that he did on Broadway, which is coming to L.A. in the fall, that he made with his wife. So... You, and you saw it. I've, I've been on the bill with him two times before, so I knew sort of the setup, and I I thought it was a really sweet and funny thing, and I thought it'd be cool. I, I think I'm going to... I think I want to have one comedian for each of these nights. Like, I feel... I like the idea of... Of, of course, also because it's Largo, and Largo is a, is a, a... You know, a hub for... Uh, comedians but i i like the idea of having that mixture of performer where there could be room for also things beyond music and comedy but at least to have at least one comedian yeah. in the middle um to sort of i don't know like I, I sort of like that bridging these two worlds yeah um and i guess also it's sort of like musicians want to be uh, actors and actors want to be musicians you know and or you know like you know, some musicians, I, I've always had probably, I remember when I started touring in America and I got to speak English on stage for the first time, because I'm Norwegian, I didn't, we didn't tell the listeners that I'm yeah. Norwegian, but oh, I'm originally, we'll get into more later, <laughs> I'm originally Norwegian, so when I started touring in, in America, all of a sudden I was speaking in English, my songs are in English, of course, but um, the fact that I could speak English between songs was... A dream come true. Have you been speaking English your entire life as a second language as well, or? Um, yeah, you learn it pretty early on. Like I learned, honestly, I learned English through music, probably mainly because I was so into, you know, English language music since I was, you know, four or five years old, and it became. I, I, I name it, one English speaking artist you <laughs> like. Name one. <laughs> name. One. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 sort of in Norway you learn it in school early on but but oh, okay. for me it was also and Norway is a small country so we don't have like we don't do like um, we don't overdub movies and TV okay we, we read subtitles okay so you you, you get better at uh, quicker and I I certainly had like uh, an interest in the language because of all this music I was consuming and I think also like watching MTV watching these VJs that I was sort of almost imitating. and So this was American or European MTV? That they yeah, were it was MTV English. Europe. Okay, so they so would they mainly were... speak English. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and, and, and then, you know, when I was... This, so when I was doing my first U.S. tour, um, every night I was opening. I was opening for a group called Not A Surf. Oh. And so I was, I, was, I was done usually early. You know, I was playing the show, and I could be at the hotel pretty early and and I would watch uh, Conan O'Brien and David Letterman every night and The Simpsons um, but that inspiration led you know I led me to my shows more and more became um, maybe already then they became these sort of variety show things because I was so inspired by those 
uh, that sort of host voice yeah. and that way of speaking American and also playing or make you know really cheap, uh, taking a lot of sort of cheap jokes from the fact that I was a Norwegian young boy who was an American was a for you know I was a foreigner I was a hair in the, in the soup you know mm-hmm. and and that gave me sort of this this character that I, I remember I was very inspired by yeah Conan O'Brien and Letterman and then Colbert also like those are the kind of as performers strictly performers I think that those are the kind of people I I really I'm inspired by in my sort of on stage persona more than anything of course it's far away from that too maybe my songwriting into my different explorations creatively. But once I get on stage, I think my identity is formed by, by, yeah, by that sort of, I don't know. It's when I came home to Norway and had to perform in Norwegian or like talk Norwegian between the songs. It was such a letdown because there's no room for even being that cocky. Yeah. You know, taking that, the cockiness of that sort of, host you know late night hosts it doesn't translate why is that oh okay just just the norwegian uh the norwegian mood the norwegian um that i i found no even yeah i found no way of translating that experience you know Um, and so i felt completely like reduced when i came home because i well now it's back to just being shy you know what i mean I, yeah. like all of a sudden i couldn't put on on that costume uh, which i had enjoyed so much all of a sudden now i was just back to being a shy guy on stage <laughs> um so I, yeah i i guess I, I do i like i like performance and so part of me admires comedians who go on and just talk yeah you know or storytellers like yourself you can go on and just you just talk um, and sometimes I talk way too much on stage <laughs> and I have many, many times I've had audiences yeah. say like, just play a goddamn song, you like know, yelling oh, that yeah. out. Oh God. I've gotten better at like balancing it, but there was a time I got so chatty cause I was just so excited that I had an audience to talk to. Yeah. And there's always that guy like, shut up and play. <laughs> well, You're speak- not that funny. Well, speaking of shutting up, we're going to take a yeah. quick little break here. Yes. <laughs> Hey, if you like what you are hearing, you can see Sandra Lerke if you are in the Los Angeles area on May 10th at the Largo at the Coronet in West Hollywood. Tickets can be found at sandralerke.com or at largola.com. That's May 10th. Sandra Lerke and friends, do it. You will not be disappointed. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, yeah, you don't understand how podcasts work because you can't just <laughs> tune in. That's not a thing. No, uh, exactly. I tried to explain what a podcast is to my mom. My mom has no right. idea what it is that I do. No, right. <laughs> it's impossible, But I right? think the word podcast makes it sound so futuristic and strange. I, I tried to tell her, it's just like the radio, but you play it the sh- the radio show when you want to hear the radio show right and she's that's the 
most watered down perfect way to put it. Yeah, that, and she was that's like, actually that's how I should have explained. Yeah, it to I my think because like, that's what it is. You just choose when you want to hear. It's it's radio on demand in a sense. Yeah, um, without all the music, I guess. But um, I think the word podcast makes it sound intimidating to older people. Which I what what is the root of that iPod broadcast? Is that is that it? It I'm comes ass- from the pod. I'm assuming so. Because I think they, it is a little... I, I wish there was a better word. Yeah, because I think when, when people don't... Because do iPods... Do they even make iPods anymore? I don't know. Yeah, I do. But I, I, feel like, I feel like old people hear the pod part of that and think that you have to have some sort of a pod. Yeah, exactly. Like. I need something that I don't have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so you you just moved to LA yeah. very recently. In you, were, you were in New York before that. Yeah, I was in New York for twelve years, thir- thirteen maybe. Wow, yeah. holy poop! So what what prompted the LA move? Um, I wanted to no longer be involved in winter. <laughs> I wanted no winter in my life. I, no more involvement with winter. No. This is. I, I was opting out of winter. I grew up. I just picture you like Kramer showing up at the uh, at the post office. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out. I'm yeah. out. It, it was sort of like that. I, you know, I grew up in Norway, so I've had my share of winter there. And winter in Norway can be beautiful. Winter in New York, however, is never beautiful, really. Yeah. Hardly. Yeah. And um, I've taken to running and being more outdoors. And, and I just found every time I came to L.A., it gave my life such you know more quality yeah to be closer to nature which a lot of people i guess laugh at when i say i, I moved to la to be closer to nature but of course i also want to be in in a, in in a place where there's lots of music and musicians and 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 i've had fun whenever whenever i've worked on music for film i've enjoyed it tremendously mm-hmm. and i've recently been working on a film project writing songs for that and so it's something I'd like to do more of. And a lot of that action happens here. And I have a lot of friends who had already moved because there is a big migration from New York musicians in New York moving to L.A. It's sort of a cliche at this point. Um, so I I just felt the pull. I had so many friends. Half my friends had moved here already. And and uh, I was just... The seduction was um, complete. And I, so I just, I just did it. And it felt a little crazy um yeah like any big move feels a little crazy and now i'm just gonna live here um but but i did it and and uh, i i i love it i really did you did you drive did you fly what'd you do i was planning i was actually planning to do the drive with with my girlfriend who does not who doesn't live here she lives in norway but she likes coming here a lot more than new york but she hasn't driven across america and so i thought we could do that yeah i have of course driven across america too many times (laughs) to even appreciate it and one of the things that i think i've also i've fallen uh, fallen out of love with with the the winter i've also fallen out of love a bit with um driving around america on tour yeah, because um, I've done that, and it's I've done it, of course, a lot in in minivans and vans, and and also in buses, and I don't know what it is. I think I like there used to be in the f- first fifteen years of my career there was a bit of romanticism attached to it that that I I enjoy I enjoy performing tremendously always, um, but 
transportation wise, especially all you know, I'm sure if I was if I could afford a private jet or something, make it real comfortable, I'm, yeah, you, know, you can do anything. Then I could live here and just fly out, you know. But sadly, that is not the world uh, that we live in. So that's also a thing. I, I just realized the closer we got to the date that we were driving from New York, mm-hmm. but in, you know, with this U-Haul truck, I just, I was like, you know what? I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to drive across America in this fucking stupid U-Haul truck. <laughs> People are gonna, somebody's gonna rob us, I'm sure, because it's a sign that says stuff Stuff's in here. In here. Yeah, Stuff yeah, yeah. in here. Those cars are super expensive. I was looking at the, you know, the budget, and I realized that this is so much more expensive than just shipping it. Yeah. In a U-box, which also is provided by U-Haul. So I said to to my girl, I said, like, can we can we do a trip without? all the stuff I own like in our trunk and instead just fly and I'll ship the stuff and it'll take two, two or three weeks. It's fine. That'll give me time to find the place. I didn't have a place yet and it just felt weird to drive here but not have a place yet. Yeah. And in order to get a place, I had to be here. So, yeah. So that it's was... LA uh, for you. That's Jesus. exactly, yeah. Ugh. I was I was very lucky on the first day I woke up here. <clears throat> Um, I was, we were staying in an Airbnb while look, you know, I was looking at a bunch of different places. And the first place I looked at, uh, was the place in which we are sitting now. So I was very lucky to find something pretty cool pretty quickly. And then of course I was just eager to get, to move in and, and get everything. But then I had to wait for the shipment, but I'm, I'm very glad I, 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 I yeah, just, you I just, definitely hit the jackpot with this place. Yeah. I, 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 I feel, uh, I feel. Like, I feel, uh, I, I didn't plan on living in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I thought maybe Highland Park, <laughs> Las Feliz, you know, the usual suspects. But I, when I found this place, it was sort of despite it being in Hollywood. But then I was like, well, of course, this yeah. is the beginning of my Hollywood adventure. Yeah, yeah. Of course I'm going to be here. Um, yeah, not, it's, I feel like 99% of the time when somebody first moves here, they're always in Hollywood. Yeah, right. And then afterward, they're like, oh, my God, why did I do this? Yeah. But your situation is not like that. You stay here until they have to pull your cold dead yeah. body out of this place. I, I, I got lucky. And this, yeah, this, is a, this, this place was built. It's a tiny bungalow for those of you who are not in the room with us. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tiny bungalow that was built in 1924. Oh, cute. For uh, for scriptwriters who came to town to write for a studio. So they made, you know, a strip of, of little bungalows. Wait, are um, these like Sears houses then? I don't know. What is that? They, um, back in, uh, I only found this out when I, um, when I lived in one of these, uh, Sears Roebuck back in the day used yeah. to have like this thing that would cost between $800 to maybe $2,000 if you were really, really super rich. Right. Um, you order a build-your-own-house kit. Oh, comes wow. with the pipes, with the every screw, right. like the Ikea version, put it together yourself. Yeah. They would ship it by train. And, like, you know, rich people would have, you know, or, like, companies or whatever. Like, there's whole places in Illinois, like, a whole entire town wow. Um, outside of, I think, Champaign, Illinois, is only those because these factories were built there. And they're like, oh, we need places, we need people to uh, have a reason to come here. Um, And so, like, we'll build you a house. Come. Um, But I I lived in one 
when I learned about it, my, my landlords were like, oh, this is a Sears house. I'm like, I don't know what that means. So they explain it. And then one day they're like, oh, by the way, you need to treat her very nicely. I'm like, I'm a model tenant. Come on. They're like, no, she has a name. She's the Roseberry. And I later found out because just out of this weird, I was on like a, a click hole kind of thing. I was just going down some wormhole and I found uh, the catalog listing from like 1920 something mm-hmm. of my house. Oh my God. And it, the model was called the Roseberry. And I was like, did you guys know that that's why the former owners called it that? Yeah. And they're like, we didn't know that. So I, yeah, I found the, the whole, it's so weird to see your exact house. Yeah, exactly. In, in this, like this, this drawing of it with these beautiful trees yeah. in front of it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I bet I, I feel like, cause when you hear about craftsman houses, yeah. um, those that came from Sears craftsmen. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe. Cause I like, obviously over time, like some of the other men, neighbors, they have been remodeling and so they're all slightly different, but I wonder like if maybe they started out completely identical Yeah, on this little strip. Oh, I'm sure but it is as a, as a songwriter, I come here of course to write and to, to disappear into my own sort of sphere. And it, it does add a bit of mysticism and romanticism to think that, well, this was home to a, a writer of films oh, yeah. in the 1920s. Yeah. Um, and when I sit here at my desk and I, you know, do try to do whatever I do, it's, it's, it adds a little, you know, yeah, it was, it was the right place for me. People, to people say a lot, of, a lot of bad stuff about LA. Yeah. And I, I, there's still some charm in that to me that like right. people, they're like, oh, it's all fake and it's all yeah. movies and right, TV. Exactly. I was like, how many times? Have you know? Has every individual person in the world said, "Oh, that movie meant everything to yeah, me"? Yeah, absolutely. As a kid, absolutely. and that kind of thing, where I'm just like this, you know, be it as commercial crank house as it is. Yeah, it's still art that's being made that means something to somebody. Yeah, exactly. You know? That that and, uh, survives, and that exactly. And I think I think that it's sometimes it irritates me in, in the same way. I think in in uh, as a singer songwriter. Uh, and maybe that's something that's been challenged since. But when I came up as a singer songwriter, um, I, I I liked to poke fun at this this idea of of this sort of desperate sincerity in among singer songwriters. Because to me, it seemed like the people who were most sort of desperate for you to know that all of this happened and all of this is sincere and true. I'm just telling the truth. Were the same people who who were not so good at songwriting, you know what I mean? And then, on the other hand, a lot of the songwriters that I admired um, were people who who could make really emotional, beautiful music, but also indulge their, their fantasy and their imagination, mm. you know? Whether, whether, whether it's, you know, Burt Bacharach or Cole Porter or Patty McAloon or, or Joni Mitchell also, who... Who obviously have you know made a lot of statements of, of deep sincerity and, and, and deep uh, sort of ser- you know pr- private seriousness, but who also often has had to stress that um, not all no, even if a song is in the first person doesn't mean that she's always telling talking about something that she lived. Yeah, but it doesn't make it any. It shouldn't have to make it any less impactful. And I think we were, for a while, we were in this 
world of singer songwriters where where a lot of people had just sort of gotten this whiff of like okay if i just say that all this was written in blood in my diary mm-hmm. then i will be credible i will be truthful and people forgot well you still have to sort of write a song yeah you know what i mean you still have to turn it into something yeah you can't just like pee and shit on on a canvas and <laughs> call it a painting you know you yeah. still have to transform it into yeah, something of artistic. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right. Stream cool. of consciousness. Here is everything, you know. There you go. That's my song. <laughs> exactly. And that's and that's something that I think um, people underestimate about maybe what Hollywood represents. Like you said, well, everything here is phony and everything is constructed to make me feel, to manipulate me. Well, yeah, that's like sort of any art in a way is manipulation. When I go up on stage... And I play a song that I lived through. I'm still choosing to go up and repeat that thing and manipulate yes. you to feel, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, every, and it's very sincere. It's very, for me, it's, it's what I do, but it is also manipulation. It is all manipulation. All, everything we are is, doing, you know. Has there ever been something like that that you've intentionally shied away from because you, you don't like the feeling that you felt during that time in your life? Um, and, the, and you don't want to take too... the audience there as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And 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 part of that, I think, was when I was younger. I, f- I felt, I felt uh, like I almost. Maybe that's part of that sort of indulging the shamelessness. I didn't have the shamelessness to sort of like to 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 go there because I w- I actually became self conscious to the point of like, well, I don't want anyone feeling that I'm like forcing on this like sincerity mm-hmm. or this 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 thing that happened to me or 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 sort of exploiting that yeah so instead I would sort of like which was stupid I remember often on stage I would if I had a really emo- a song that I, that came across really emotional I would sometimes like degrade it by saying Oh, this, yeah, this, the, here's a song, uh, you know, I, I wrote, um, I would reduce it to technicalities. Oh, okay. I wrote, you know, I just had to come up with some words. Like, almost as if I was trying to reduce the audience's ability to, to sort of, uh, to engage the thing that the song was about. And that's foolish, of course. That was, that's something I regret. And I remember my wife at the time was like, why? Why are you introducing the song in this way? Why are you trying to sort of, uh, sort of, re- yeah, reduce the po- the potentially very emotional experience that yeah. people are having with something that you you made that I know is a very emotional thing? Why are you trying to conflate that or or sort of reduce it to to a mere sort of intellectual exercise? Um, so there was a tendency, I think, for a while um, at the beginning of my career of of doing that because I was, I was adamant that I, I didn't want to be seen as, as another sort of desperately sincere heart on sleeve, uh, songwriter, uh, who, who just had, you know, three chords and, and whatever girl broke my heart. Ooh, boo hoo. I'm, you know, I'm yeah. so miserable. I didn't identify with that, even though I had songs that were, were, um, speaking about that experience, but I, I wanted to be seen as something more than that. I wanted to be 
you know, I wanted to be both Backrack and Elliot Smith, you know what yeah. I mean? And, and, um, and I couldn't, and I never had, you know, I'm, I, I never had the persona to, to fill that, the character of, 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 a, of, a, of, of that kind of, uh, I don't know, misery or conflict of character. So I went, yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 I looked, I look up to still a lot of, songwriters that I guess people would often call cerebral um but I with time I've learned to actually that it's also uh completely fine to um to sort of both let the heart and the body sort of take over the songs also yeah it doesn't there was a lot of uh action happening in my head and not in my body when I made a lot of my early songs and and still it's very emotional stuff because it comes from um, you know emotional situations and where you feel completely confused and but but um but it's um it's a funny thing all of this came out of the idea that you mentioned like when people look down upon show business and 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 I think, and you know, of course, there's lots to laugh about in Hollywood and in show business and in anything that is like any industry that will say, well, you need this haircut to do this or we need you to do like, fuck that. Like, that, that doesn't feel like the world I live in, even if I live in L.A., you know, because I've, I've always felt that I found my niche um, somewhere left of, of that center, but... <laughs> But I am still fascinated by it, and I think it's it, whenever I I see a really ambitious or great or entertaining Hollywood film, I'm like, wow, they made this must have cost so much to make, and somebody had the guts to to make it, and somebody let it happen, and somebody made it happen, and, yeah, and it's a great work of art, and it's a great work of entertainment, and this stuff happens. I think it's in a in a city where almost everybody works in one way or another in, in yeah. entertainment I think that's just of course it leads to a lot of weird stuff but it also leads to, to these great um, pieces of work that that I you know I love the cinema I I, I go to to the movies several times a week um, and it's a place where I can take my mind off my own work and take a break from my own process so being here and you know going to see movies in, in, in LA in Hollywood is is even that it's sort of my favorite hobby in when I lived in New York was to go to see movies and I'll see almost anything if I can see it in a movie theater. So cool. to be here is tremendous. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of great pieces of art and great pieces of work, uh, do you want to play us out with a yes. song? Yes, this is a great transition, <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Sandra Linke.
sticking to your guns, be they holy or infamous ones. Who's gonna build your character where there used to be none? You're gonna love your new frame, it's the shape of things to come. The leader of the pack will be scratching your back. If only you can tackle the black back jackal Baby, come to me Your blue suede boots may stumble on the ridge Baby, come to me Your poncho soaks up all the water under the bridge stomach climbing out of a thousand train wrecks in a pitch black tunnel granted only a few light flickers if you can take abuse like a gentleman holds his liquor the eager overachiever will eventually trip and that's when you can have your way consensually baby come to me your blue Sweet boots may stumble on the ridge. Baby, come to me. Your poncho soaks up all the water under the bridge. You've been underestimated. Patronized or have been degraded When you try and fail to look up the meaning of ill-fated And all the buddies who outran you Incidentally wear hairs you hated So much so you can't wait to see their faces again You'll leave them in the dust atop your turtle Your trusted friend Baby, come to me Your blue suede boots Stumble on the ridge mm, Baby, come to me Your poncho soaks up all the water under the bridge Water under the bridge Water under the Thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Remember, if you live in the Los Angeles area, you can see Sandra Lerke on May 10th at Largo at the Coronet. 
Tickets for that can be found at LargoLA.com or at SandraLarke.com. All of his music can be found on Spotify and on iTunes or wherever amazing music is sold. Speaking of things being sold, you can also buy my debut stand-up album, Queen of Small Town Gossip, on iTunes or Amazon. Go check it out. At any rate, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you.